God speaks to us in his word in Luke 1, 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kim. Good morning. Good to see everybody. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here and one of several leaders. Um, and I really are glad that you would be here with us today. If you're a guest in the room, you're an honored guest. We are so uh, grateful for your presence. Again, it's a nice day and you decided to be with us, and so we're honored that you would be with us on such a nice day outside. All right, uh, Luke chapter one is where we're gonna be. You can open your Bibles there or your phones, or it'll be on the screen, and also, if you don't have a Bible and want one, we would love to give you a Bible today, so please see us after service. But you can go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter one. We are preaching a mini-series on um, God's design for women, how he designed women. And you might ask, like, well, that's kind of interesting. I wouldn't plan on coming to church to hear about that today. Well, the reason that we're preaching on that is because God's design for women is his design uh, for why it matters for everyone. It matters how God designed men and women. Because ultimately, what God is doing is he is bringing his kingdom on earth. And to preach on women is the same exact thing and even more powerful way to preach the kingdom of Jesus. Today's sermon is not about women. It is about Jesus. And my hope and prayer for all of us in the room, for the men in the room and the women in the room, let me repeat myself and just say it in a different way, for the women in the room and the men in the room, my hope for today is that we sit under the word of God and let it shape how we should live with each other in the world, in the church. Because the truth is, is that we just do not get this right. I don't have to talk to you about how things are outside of the church 
Things are crazy. The ideas and concepts about gender and what they should be and should I even ever talk about it. Craziness. Madness. Nobody can agree on anything. It's like, it feels like lunacy. There's a lack of sobriety and reasonability. But in the church is a whole different ballgame. If we believe that God has created men and women both uniquely, differently, but co-heirs, co-laborers in the kingdom and for the kingdom, and also co-image bearers that we both uniquely and differently image God and bring glory to him. If we believe that, then it should sure as heck affect the way that we treat one another. And we just don't get this right. Last week we talked about feminine virtue, women as life givers. Next week we're gonna talk about woman as wife. Today we're talking about women as sisters, sisterhood in the church. And I can't think of a better story to teach us about how women should be sisters in the church than the story of Elizabeth and Mary. Quick few things. I'm gonna pray for you and I want you to pray for me. And uh, we're gonna pray that God would have his way that the Holy Spirit would actually teach us through this word. And by the way, prayer is not just a thing that we do on Sundays. We wanna be a praying church. Uh, we meet on Saturday nights, but also we got multiple people throughout the week and throughout this entire Feminine Virtue series that have been praying for women in the room. You might have thought that you randomly showed up here today by coincidence. It's not. People have been praying that you would come today and that you would hear the word of God. Same thing for the men in the room, that you would hear the word of God and that it would shape our hearts. So let's join all those others in prayer right now. God, we ask that you would center us we ask, Lord, that you would bring reasonability to us. We pray for sober-mindedness in the room. We pray for the power of God to be revealed in the preaching of the word. And we ask that you would make us more than just hearers, make us doers of the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Elizabeth is such a great story. Luke, Luke is writing a gospel. And one of the things I think is so interesting He's gonna tell the story of Jesus' life. And you would think that for a man who's telling the story of Jesus' life and wants people to hear it, the first chapter, like the intro, they'll tell you as about preaching and public speaking, writing, whatever, it's like you want to grab people. You want them to be compelled to listen to the rest of what you have to say. So your intro really matters. So the first chapter of any book is gonna really matter. Luke's first chapter he chooses to start the greatest story ever told with a woman who was advanced in years, who was barren, could not have children, and her husband. Her husband, Zechariah, was like the priest. He was the one that went into the temple. And one of the stories, um, the story of them early on in, in chapter one is he went into the temple, Zechariah did, and he went to to performed sacrifice for the people prayers and the angel of the Lord Gabriel came to him now they had been barren they had been trying to have kids they were advanced in years she was past menopause he was way they were too old to have babies and Zechariah goes into it was a pain point for them uh, he goes into the temple and 
the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you will have a child. And Zechariah immediately doubts him. He's like, how? <laughs> I'm advanced in years. Please explain to me how it is that I'm going to have a child. And because of his lack of faith, Gabriel, the angel, mutes him, closes his mouth, makes him unable to speak. And he said, until this comes to pass, you won't be able to speak. Well, the same angel went to Elizabeth, said, you're going you're gonna, to, you're with child. And what does she do? She rejoices. She says, thank God. She actually says, the Lord has taken away from me my reproach. Reproach is a word that means disgrace or shame. She had been judged. She had been shamed in a world where she had tried and tried and tried and tried to have children and couldn't. And also in a world where you were judged as a woman for not having kids. The Lord has taken away from me my reproach. But she believed God. God told her through this angel, call him John. Well, that was also weird. John was a weird name, especially since his dad's name was Zechariah. Not named after your dad at this time? Pretty crazy. So she's got all kinds of things coming against her. But then she has faith, though, in God. And her husband's lack of faith brought a curse on him. Her faith actually was what released him from his muteness, which is so true for so many women in our life. It's like how many of us men would be able to say, if it was not for the faith of some women in my life, I would have no faith at all. I would be cursed. I'm gonna try to preach a whole sermon just on that fact today. Thank God for the women in our life. What we need more than ever right now is we need women who will stand in the power and the uniqueness and the beauty and the blessing of how God has uniquely made you. And we need men to champion that. We need to reclaim brother and sister. We need to claim, reclaim family value within the church. We need it. Our story today is ultimately and truly about Jesus, about family, about that he is the head of the body, about that he is coming into the world. The story of Elizabeth and the, and the virgin young girl, Mary, who's pregnant with Jesus. Jesus is coming to redeem Mary and all of us. And my hope is that we will posture ourselves like Mary did when the angel came to her and said, you're pregnant. And she said, how can this be? I'm a virgin. I'm betrothed. 12 and a half, maybe 13 years old. He says, well, the Holy Spirit is gonna do it. And then what does she say? She says this, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's my prayer for us is that we would be able to say with Mary, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. First thing I want you to see about femininity is this. Godly femininity is welcoming. It's welcoming. It's hospitable. It is a blessing in the way that we open our lives, the way women, you open your life and you serve. Let's talk about Elizabeth for a minute. She welcomes this young girl into her home. The first thing Mary does when the angel of the Lord comes to her is he says, she says, with haste, the Bible describes with haste she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, who was much older than her, like by decades, 
uh, and was, had also been five and a half, six months pregnant. She goes to her. So we need to know about who this woman Elizabeth is. There's a few descriptors for her in Luke. Luke 1 verse 6 says this. They were both, describing her and her husband, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Both righteous before God. And then the second verse, the next verse, as a descriptor says this. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They had no child, she was barren, and both were advanced in years. The first thing the Bible wants you to see about Elizabeth is that she was blameless and righteous before God. That is the first identifier, and it makes sense. That's the right order. Her identity was not in whether or not she could have kids. Her identity was not in what she did or didn't have or what she thought she deserved or wanted. Her identity was, first and foremost, that she walked with God. Amen. The Bible's so clear to identify her in that way and that she was barren now. First, she walks with God. Second is the circumstances of her life. She was barren, uh, not even infertile. She wasn't ex just experiencing infertility or struggling to get married, whatever. There had been a declaration made. I, am, I cannot, it is not possible for me to have kids. I am barren. Advanced in years. They had tried and tried and tried and tried. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, I'm, I am approaching holy ground here because I know what I'm talking about affects so many in this room or has affected miscarriages, infertility, whatever it is. That is so close to the heart. But I want you to see this, that it's, what happens is God is not distant from your circumstance. This is a thing that God has been um, pastoring us, leading us through for years. And you could actually identify maybe today with Elizabeth who experienced exactly what you've experienced. Years and years they had tried. No one to carry the family name no one to feed and love and serve and no daughter, no son. The mental, emotional, and physical pain that they had tried, but no kids. And we know that this is true because when she becomes pregnant, here's how she describes it. Thus the Lord has done for me in these days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Culturally, you would not have been accepted to not have kids as a woman or be married. So, she felt disgrace, shame. The Lord has taken my reproach. And yet, in the middle of her disgrace and shame, the Bible describes her as blameless and righteous. What a godly woman. Also, she's a wise woman. She carries wisdom. She kind of exonifies it here. You just get the sense that she is wise. Her husband questions God, she doesn't. <laughs> That's wisdom. And it's appropriate because the way the Bible describes wisdom is as a lady. In Proverbs, the Bible says that wisdom is a woman or it's personified in that way. Now, theologically and doctrinally speaking, God himself is wisdom. And God 
invented wisdom. <laughs> Before the foundation of the world, wisdom had existed as God. But the way that he's chosen to, again, personify it within the Bible is through a woman named Lady Wisdom. According to Proverbs 9, she's a woman who sets a table at a banquet hall and stands out in front of her house and welcomes all to come and eat with her. She's welcoming. She's hospitable. Here's what it says. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom is a generous and hospitable woman. The thought, the picture of this woman. Actually, Proverbs actually says that she went and killed all the animals that they were gonna eat as well. (laughs) And she like picked the vegetables, probably built the table, you know, that day or something. Imagine the scene, a giant house She has killed the animals, cooked the food, set the table. She's hosting. She's hospitable. And she's standing out in front of this house and just ready to welcome all in. He says, if you come and dine with Lady Wisdom, you will live. Wisdom, personified as a woman. Elizabeth meets the criteria She's wise, blameless before God. She doesn't see her circumstances or what she has or doesn't have or what she thinks she deserves. She doesn't see all of that as a depiction of how God sees her. She belongs to God, and that's that. It's true, man. God has uniquely granted women gifts in this way. I don't think I have to convince you that women are just hospitable. (laughs) They see things differently than men. They can feel a room. I dare a man to stand up right now and talk talk to me about how he can feel a room. They feel a room. Men, please quantify that mathematically. To walk in and feel a room, I love it. They can walk in and see, oh, this needs this. And and Lord knows, you know, I... (laughs) This happens a lot to me because I'm not married. People walk into my house, they're like, this needs a woman's touch. There needs to be somebody that puts something on the wall, Ben. Just put one thing on the wall. I'm like, well, my dog is fine. I don't know why I need to put something on the wall. (laughs) They feel things. They see things. And I'm not just talking about naturally. I'm also talking about spiritually. There's a discernment. There's a sense There's nothing worse than having a woman like feel weird about you. (laughs) Nothing worse than that. They get to sense things spiritually. It's like God has uniquely gifted women to really see and to hold the line there to go like, I don't know if this is wise. Man, that's why we need, that's one of the reasons why we need women is they keep us from stuff like dying. They keep us from doing stupid stuff. But it's not just that. They also, they, they carry wisdom with them in a, in, a, in a unique way. They set the banquet table. They offer us a piece of the wisdom of God that we just can't get without them. Women, you are. 
You have within you a unique set of gifting just by the way that you are made to offer something beautiful to the earth, to each other. Simultaneously, what that can become is curse. You can either bless or curse. Elizabeth did was she blessed. Barbara Mauser wrote, wrote this incredible book called Five Aspects of Women. And it says this, God often renews us through other life givers. That is, he uses women to give fellowship and encouragement to one another. Mary, the mother of our Lord, sought out such fellowship with her, husband Elizabeth, with her cousin Elizabeth by going to her home for three months. Mary and Elizabeth shared a common faith, a common family, and were experiencing supernatural pregnancies at the same time. Elizabeth was, however, a, a very special woman for Mary. Elizabeth was not only much older, she was six months further along in her pregnancy. Perhaps they had had a deep and long-lasting fellowship with each other over the years, or maybe their pregnancies drew them together for the first time. Either way, they found true fellowship and encouragement in one another as they walked similar paths. Redeemed life givers will be renewed by the Lord, by men who protect and provide, and by other women, but especially older women. Women can and should be a great source of fellowship, comfort, understanding, encouragement, and counsel for one another. Why did Mary immediately get up and go to see her older cousin, decades older? It was because she had to have experienced her as a blessing in her life already. Mary had not told anybody about her pregnancy. She was about to face the reality that people were gonna judge her and they're gonna be like, oh, okay, your God made you pregnant, okay. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. You're 12 and a half, 13 years old. Come on now, Mary. She couldn't tell anybody that. But she knew where she could go. She knew where there was a house that would provide wisdom for her. Second thing I want you to see is the power of feminine blessing. Elizabeth, she doesn't even let Mary get through the door, through the frame. I don't even know if she's in the courtyard yet before she does for her what the prodigal does for the, what the father does for the prodigal son, meets him out front. She doesn't let her get a word in before Elizabeth blesses her. And here's what she says. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, just heard her greeting, the baby in Elizabeth leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Now this is not like she raised her voice. This is a woman making a declaration for all to hear. Anybody in the 10 mile radius, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. And I would say that to you right now, women and men. You need to hear what Elizabeth is about to say to this very young, hard to believe young woman. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from her Lord. Not just you're blessed for carrying Jesus, you're blessed for believing that you're carrying Jesus. Blessing, 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 blessing. 
Don't you think the God who flung the stars in the sky and wrote our names on his heart and counted the hairs on our head, don't you think he knew exactly how this would happen? He knew that he would have to come. He knew that he would have to come to Mary and he knew that Elizabeth would have to be there in order to give her the thing that she needed right away so that he could be born, so that he could be lifted high and die for us. She needed blessing and so do you. You need to be both the blessing giver and the blessing receiver. That is a beautiful picture of how God has designed women to function in this world and especially in the church. Bless, bless. Call out in us the things that we need to be called out, but be a blessing. This is the first time a prophetic word is proclaimed in Luke 1 in like 400 years since Malachi. This word, you are carrying the Son of God. Think about if you're Mary, there's a long distance between Nazareth and wherever this town was. Think if you're Mary all the time, you had to think about like, was that real? Was I dreaming? Am I pregnant? And she walks in the door. She gets the Lord meeting her through this older woman in a blessing and a confirmation. You are carrying the son of God. How many times have we needed that in our life? Women, listen to me. How many times have you needed that from an older sister, from somebody and I get that I'm approaching the, uh, just the grounds for a lot of wounds here. You probably haven't gotten it in the times that you needed it. But today what we can do is we can anchor ourselves around this to go, that's what we need and that's who we need to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? Women that carry the strength, the beauty of feminine blessing. Let's <laughs> just think about all the things that Elizabeth could have said. Or could have thought. Elizabeth had tried to have kids for years and years, for decades, and didn't have any kids. And God finally shows up miraculously. She has sex to have a baby with her, but that was a miracle. And then here you have your maybe going through puberty, 13-year-old cousin who says, I didn't even have to do all of that. <laughs> and God just gave me the thing that you've tried so hard to get. You ever think about that? These are real people. What would you have said? I mean, for them, there, there's no competition. There's no uh, condemning. There's no like distance. She doesn't, she doesn't distance herself from marriage. She doesn't like, there's no uncomfortability. It's like as soon as she gets, she hears her greeting, she runs to her, blesses her. Who needs that in the room? How many of you today need that? A blessing from a godly woman in your life. It leads her to worship. I heard a story recently of um, an author named Sarah Williams. And um, she she had a best friend that she, they prayed for years to have a child. And they prayed that they would have one together, but both of them were struggling to have kids. And, and they miraculously got pregnant at the same time. <laughs> what a miracle. 
Well, Sarah, they're moving along in pregnancy, excited about ultrasounds. You know, can you imagine, like, oh my gosh, first ultrasound, and she finds out, Sarah, that her child has an abnormality that's gonna keep the child from either one going to full term or when it's, if it's born, it'll be stillborn. While her friend goes to ultrasounds and gets just update after update of a healthy baby. Well, Sarah says that the pain became too much for me. And I just disregarded her after a while. I couldn't answer the phone, I could not do it. Which makes sense. Her friend, finally one day, her godly friend shows up to her house. It's like, you wanna answer the phone, I'm gonna show up to your house. <laughs> Which is a little creepy, but that's okay. I mean, knocks on the door, Sarah answers the door. Her friend says, come walking with me. Probably hadn't talked in months. Here's what her friend says to her. Either you rejoice with me in what I'm rejoicing, and I grieve with you in what you are grieving, or we resign ourselves for the rest of our lives to live superficially, which will it be? The blessing of feminine sisterhood. Sarah describes that moment as a game changer for her. She knew, like, cleared up the air of what sisterhood in the Bible could be. We need sisters like this, women. We need you to be like this. It's not just true for women, it's true for both men and women. Let me talk to the men in the room. I mean this when I say we need a redeemed view, a redeemed view of brother and sister in the church, of family and community. Blood family is real, that's one thing that's important, but true family is eternal family. And we just have lost that. We've reversed those roles a little bit. There's a scene in Matthew 12 where Jesus is surrounded and he's teaching and he's, the kingdom of God is coming, he's doing all kinds of stuff and his mom and his brothers come out. They say, hey, your mother and your brothers um, are outside looking for you. And then Jesus says to them, who are my mother and brothers? And he looks at his disciples, he goes, these are my brother and my mother. This is my fa true family. Which I heard one pastor talk about that verse recently. He said, kids, you can just use that as a flex on your parents anytime you wanna get at them. <laughs> Say, you are not, who are my mother and brothers? You don't get to tell me what to do. I'm just kidding, kids, don't do that. First Timothy tells us this way, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Men, this applies to us with each other and also the way that we view um, not just our wives, but other women in the church who are either married or not married, single or not. The issue that I have, and I think the issue that Bible would point out is that, men, oftentimes we are so messed up in the way that we view other women that we think that they're only one of two options, either a spouse or a threat. And they're neat, it's not neat. Let's redeem the way that we think about sisters in the church. Men, you need the influence of women in your life. I don't care if you're single married or not. You need it. As a single man for me, I am so thankful for the sisters that I have in my, in my life. I have never crossed a line. They have never crossed a line. There's been none of that. It's because of the work that God does inside the heart that keeps you from approaching that. I get the rules. Let's set rules, but use them as guardrails. Treat women 
as something other than a potential spouse or a threat. Amen? We need to reclaim the way that we view each other in the church. Sisterhood, brotherhood. We're missing the blessing of women, their design, their encouragement, their rebuke, if we don't do the work to place our relationships rightly before God. And according to 1 Timothy 5, in all purity. The last thing I wanna talk about, there's power in feminine blessing, lady wisdom, feminine virtue is a welcoming, it's a hospitable presence, but also the way that this has shaped the world. It is not just, it's not just a thing that we should do, it's also a necessity. It's a necessity for civilization. Women, listen to me, you are needed. Your blessing, your poise, the way that you carry yourself, is needed even for civilizations to flourish. In the 17th and 18th century, the Enlightenment period was happening in France, which actually dictated a lot of the way that we do things culturally today. And there, they had these cultural centers, kind of like coffee shops or places where you go study, do art, you'd have whatever. You'd read, you would talk about politics, talk about all kind of stuff. They were called French salons. Not the place you get your hair done, but a cultural center. French salons. And one of the authors uh, wrote about that time and women's influence on those French salons. It says this, one and all, these women who were leading these salons regulated the cultural life of the country, gave talent its due, disciplined the often tempestuous behavior of their male guests, curved their unjustified pride, and occasionally encouraged those rare birds who were unduly humble and shy. At all times, they made sure that their guests, whatever their social standing and their profession, could communicate fruitfully with one another on a plane of complete equality and perfect courtesy. They also knew how to stimulate creativity by the use of appropriate encouragement and praise. The Abbe de Saint-Pierre, astounded at his unexpected success and popularity in Madame Gaufrin's salon, admitted that he was merely an instrument in her skillful hands. Listen to this. Far better psychologist than the arrogant males. And also more basically realistic and modest, hostesses spoke little and listened a great deal, knowing with their usual flair how to bring dull conversation delicately to an end. But talented men were always encouraged and came away quite surprised to discover that they were far more witty in this kind of environment than elsewhere. All the men in the room said, amen. Femininity offers a world of blessing and strength in a world that's weak and unwise we get strength and wisdom from them. Last thing from Barbara Mauser. Women have a key role to play in keeping not just their wombs, their houses, or even their souls. They are the fundamental keepers of civilization and human heritage itself. Civilization is culture in a refined and developed state, fostered by memory, morality, and manners. Such civilization endures only when it lives in the hearts and souls of its women. When morals, memory, manners, art, faith, and love perish in the women of any society, then their people are dead. 
no matter how brave or rich its men, that civilization is dead because there is no real life or beauty left. Brave men may defend their honor unto death, and they should, perishing for relics and stones, but they will have no real and living civilization for which to fight. We need feminist strength. We need you to be a blessing. I've experienced this in a hundred different ways in my life. Kim Robinson is here. She's the lady that read our scripture. I remember a story that Kim, she's blessed me in a hundred thousand different ways. I would not be a pastor today. I was wrestling with whether or not to even do this. And Kim told me at one point, she said, I don't want you to, I don't want you to not do something. How did you put this? I don't want you to do something that God doesn't want you to do, but I don't want you to avoid doing something because you're afraid. So think about that. That's like one sentence that I remember decently well. If God doesn't want you to do it, don't do it. That's what she said. But don't avoid it because you're scared. Here I am. That shaped me. That was seven years ago, six years ago. I don't know. Uh, so many women in my life who have been true sisters to me. I, you know, I, I thank God for this. I, I, you know, again, as a, you guys know this, but as a single man, it's like having women in my life who just hold the line. I had a picture last night we were praying. I went, I went to prayer at five o'clock every Saturday. You guys should come. And um, it was me. I was the only man there for the first time. I've been there a hundred times. I was the only man there and it was four women and just me. And I was like, oh man, this is appropriate. I'm, I'm preaching on femininity tomorrow. And I had this picture. They, all, they were such a blessing. They all prayed. I was like, man, this is appropriate because, especially for this sermon, because this is like a picture of what has happened in the church for a long time. It's like women just showing up to pray. I'm not trying to shame you men, but women showing up to pray even when men don't. And just holding the line and being faithful, doing like what happened with Elizabeth. It's like, man, what can be said about her is that she's righteous and blameless for God. And I got this picture of me this scene sort of in the middle of the room in a prayer circle was surrounded by multiple women and I felt like I was representing men at that time and there was all of these accusations that were coming at me from the outside. I was just trying to pray and be with Jesus but I had these women that were guarding me from accusation. I thought, well, that's interesting. I don't think I have any accusations but I remembered that there is one who is called the accuser of the brethren of the church, the devil. That's one of his names is the accuser of the church. And I had these women who are going out and meeting these accusations and saying, no, that's not right. That's a lie. You're not welcome here. So it's not just the hospitality. It's not just the hospitality and what we eat. It's not just blessing, just to bless with words. It's also protection. You offer that. Men offer protection in a different way. You offer that. I've had countless prayers come my way and then finally I told the story in the first service my grandma Bertha Mae Smith that was her name and believe me her life character um, countenance frustration fit her name she was very much a Bertha Mae Smith type woman Louisiana she was a World War II wife 
and just, you know, hardened, just had to, again, hold the line in several ways. You guys have heard stories about women who went and worked in factories when their husbands were off to war. Um, that wasn't my grandma, but she was very much that type of woman. She was the school secretary. Um, we had a really mean principal who also just hated my guts. <laughs> and so the principal and then the coaches in a small town, it's like sports, sports are everything, don't act up. But nobody was more scared of anyone in that school than Bertha Mae Smith. Even my friends were terrified of my grandma. So I remember thinking like, if I'm gonna get in trouble in school, I'm gonna get in trouble like four different times today. One with the teacher, one with the principal, then with my grandma who is inevitably gonna tell my mom right away what happened. It's like, man, this is not fair at all. And I got in trouble a lot. It didn't keep me from getting in trouble. My grandma was amazing though. She really uh, held the line in so many different ways. Like she, we would go to her house after school. My mom was a single mom. And so my grandma, my grandparents really helped us. We, I'd ride home with her and she, we used to thought, think it was like the most bougie meal of all time, but she would make of a, a snack of saltine crackers. She'd put the butter on the cracker and put it in the oven and then pull it out. We were like, this is basically a Michelin starred meal at this point. This should win like a James Beard Award for best restaurant. I didn't, you know, later found out it was like two cents a cracker or something like that, but she was amazing. Um, and I remember preaching her funeral. I got the, she died a few years back. I, I got the honor of preaching her funeral back in Louisiana. And uh, I told the story of my grandpa, who was amazing, a decorated War II veteran, just an amazing man, really revered, compassionate, and strong, uh, had a metal plate in his head. I mean, he's just an awesome dude. Everybody in the whole town respected him, loved him, partly because he didn't, fear, he didn't fear anything. And everybody knew that that was actually, he literally didn't fear anything. But I remember telling the story of my grandpa, my grandma's in the casket right there, and I'm talking about my grandpa, whatever, and he's just fearless. And he, you know, he would just like, middle of the night, like, didn't matter, man, just wrestle things to the ground. <laughs> just an awesome dude. And I said, there was, he didn't fear anything except for this one woman in this casket. He feared her in such a respectable way. How many of us have stories like that? And then how many of us want to be that? We wanna be like, women, listen to me. You wanna be women that are, hold the line, that affect culture. Women have changed history. The prayers of moms, St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, was insane in his early years. And his mom prayed for him. He got saved and became what he became. There's a revival that happened in Wales in the early 1900s. And the way it happened was that two old blind women were in this church. And the church was experiencing nothing. It was just stale as can be. They didn't even have a pastor. They just had traveling. There was like 20 people there. And these two old blind women said, before we die, we want to see God move. They just started praying for revival. And you know what happened? Hundreds of thousands of people got saved. There is blessing in your femininity. God has called you to rise up. Don't waste your life. Be like Elizabeth, learn from her, learn from this story. Let it be said of you first and foremost that she was righteous and blameless before God. Amen? What it does is it leads us to worship. Mary received that blessing, blessing of a sister. 
We're going to respond with Mary today. Let's stand and say this together. Mary's response, all together. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. For he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary <laughs> remained with her about three months and returned home. What a sweet story.